Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. In today's interview, I chat with Verity and Josette, co-directors of Focus Counselling Service in Yarraville, Victoria. We talk about how to work with children who are experiencing family breakdown or conflict and Verity and Josette share some of their advice for telling children that their parents are separating and then what to look out for in their behaviour that may indicate the need for some additional support. Josette Gardiner provides counselling to adults, children and adolescents. She works with children using a variety of modalities and has a special interest in trauma and its effects on the brain and behaviour. Because of this, she provides effective and nurturing therapy to children where family violence has been part of their story. She has also worked extensively with a range of other issues such as self-harm, grief, loss, parental conflict, trauma and recovery. Josette uses a range of tools, games and activities to help children untangle their inner world in a way that helps them make sense of it. She helps them master the skills they need to manage their emotions in an often complicated world. All this is done with a sense of hope for the future and a belief that the child is capable of any change they hope to achieve and has the ability to heal from past hurts. In all her work, Josette uses a trauma-informed approach. Josette also holds a certificate in supervision and is an ACA-recognised supervisor. Verity Best provides counselling and mediation services to adults. She has a range of experience in the mental health sector and has worked in family violence counselling, crisis and trauma counselling, as well as counselling for addictions, in particular gambling, alcohol and drugs. In addition to this, Verity is accredited by the Attorney General's Department to provide mediation services to separated parents in relation to children's matters. As a mediator, Verity provides a safe platform for separated parents to discuss their children's needs and develop a mutually agreeable parenting plan. In this service, as in her counselling practice, Verity provides a non-judgmental approach and a belief that her clients have the ability to change their lives in a positive way. In both counselling and mediation, Verity aims, above all else, to empower her clients and support them to find ways to make meaningful change. Verity also holds a certificate in supervision and provides bi-monthly group supervision to applicant practitioners in the Victorian Magistrates Court. To get in touch with Verity or Josette, you can follow the show notes uh, to their website link. They do counselling, they offer secondary consultation as well as supervision. Here is my interview with Josette and Verity. Welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. So I'm chatting with Verity and Josette, uh, two professional coaching and supervision specialists, family dispute resolution specialists, counsellors, and just two awesome people in general. This is my first dual interview, so bear with us. There might be some technical difficulties, but I'm sure we'll make it work. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks, Marie. Thanks for having us. So some of the things we were talking about before we got started was around uh, working with families in the process of separation or post-separation and dispute resolution and then also working with children of separated families. Do you want to explain to me a bit about the work that you do here at Focus Counselling and how you incorporate those different models of working with families and working with children? Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, Josette and I are... 
co-directors of um, Focus Counselling Services and um, together we provide, I guess, a suite of services. So um, my role is I'm a family dispute resolution practitioner, but let's just call it a mediator because the other one's a mouthful. Um, And I'm also a counsellor as well and Gisette is a counsellor for adults and children. So we both have experience working in the public sector for um, not-for-profits, providing counselling and mediation um, to separated families. So that's really the area that we um, really specialise in in this um, business that we've got. So, yeah, I guess we draw on a lot of different things together in our work here. Awesome. So one of the things that I often hear parents say is at what point do they share that with the children? How do they tell them that they're separating or mum or dad or mum and mum, whatever the family makeup is, that they're, they're not going to be together in the way that the, the children are used to? What are some tips you have around having that conversation? Yeah, so I guess that's something that I talk to parents with a lot in my mediation uh, role um, because sometimes I meet with parents who might have told the children in a really bad way which is you know for example it might be your mum's having an affair and so she's done this to our family so we can't live together so I'm then in a position where I have to gently explain to that parent um, about what the children need to hear and what they don't need to hear so it's really about I guess having some do's and don'ts of, of what to um what to say to those parents. Hopefully I'm able to have that conversation with them before they've gotten to that point. Um, and if I'm able to do that, then I, I can give them some guidelines. And that's really around um, keeping it child-focused, keeping it developmentally focused as well for where the children are at and keeping it really simple. Um, so not going into the reasons of why, uh, talking about um, and not putting blame on anyone which can be quite hard for the parent who is the one left behind or perhaps it's, or perhaps it's not their decision to separate. Um, so that can be a really difficult one for parents to really bite down on those feelings and talk to the children in a more child-appropriate way. Um, so I'm, I'm really advocating for the child in, in all of my work in those conversations and it's really about being child-focused. And on the other side of that, for the children, um, when they get to the point of counselling it's interesting to hear their views on why they think their parents may have separated because um, sometimes they may blame themselves which is um, which often is not correct um, however it's not maybe, an uncommon thought for kids is no, it absolutely and sometimes um, in blaming themselves it kind of makes them kind of step away from trying to ask the question about why you know about why if they don't understand what's going on and then they might explain to me that they actually don't know why and they've just come up with reasons mm. and then it's a matter of having that conversation with parents about well have we actually talked about why um oh. why you've separated have we talked to the children about that um and if not maybe encouraging that conversation because they just come up with their own reasons otherwise and generally it's about them because they're children and they're naturally quite ego-driven yeah. and focused on themselves. So, And, you know, one thing that we say to parents is, you know, you tell the children it's not their fault, even if they haven't verbalised it, because kids won't verbalise that to their mm. parents. They won't say, 
I'm feeling bad because I feel like it's my fault. Mm. That's a really shameful feeling for a child. So they tend to keep that really well hidden. They may, in fact, show it through their behaviours, like by being really well behaved mm. um, because they don't want to upset anyone or... Um, it's a really common one, isn't yeah, it? The absolutely. Parent, when we ask a parent, how is he or she doing? Oh, Actually, she's, she's great. really good. <laughs> yeah. Room's really clean. And, you know, academically they're doing fantastic, but what they're actually trying to do once we get to the point of counselling, the quiet ones kind of are the ones, or the ones that parents often say they're doing really well, are the ones that have the most questions because mm. they're trying to protect each parent. Mm. And they internalise yeah. that self-blame. And they're part of each parent, so I can understand why they would try and protect each parent. So what are some of the tips you have for parents? And I know you're going to have a handout that um, the listeners can access after this podcast. But what are some of the general tips that you can encourage parents or even practitioners who are working with with families on how to guide that conversation? So how to not have blame and not tell them the things they don't need to know, but then give them enough information so they don't fill in the blanks with that feeling of it's my fault. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the kind of – and developmentally appropriate, how much do you tell them and Mm -hmm. how do you scaffold that so that the door's still open for more conversation? So the way I I talk to parents about it, I've got a a really brief three points that are essential for um, telling the children. The first one is – Keeping the language unified. So mummy and daddy both love you. So not when they're with dad just saying daddy loves you, not when they're with mum saying mummy loves you. Keeping that language unified all the time. Mm-hmm. The second one is that telling them that even though mummies and daddies can stop loving each other, we can never stop loving you. So children can have this false belief of, oh, mummy and daddy used to kiss and cuddle and say I love you and, um, and they kiss and cuddle me and say I love you to me. But now that's stopped between mummy and daddy, so maybe that might stop with me. Mm. So maybe they can stop loving me. And so that's when we get those behaviours like Josette was talking about where I'm really good with mum and I'm really good with dad because I don't want either parent to reject me. And the third really important thing is what we mentioned earlier, it's not your fault. So being able to say that, even if the child hasn't mentioned it, just putting that in any of those conversations. And I always tell parents... Those three things, say those as often as you need. And then the next step is when, um, if the child comes to you with, um, you know, any sort of questions about how or why or what's going on, sometimes a really appropriate response is, mummy and daddy are working on it. So really about taking that burden of responsibility off the children Um, and just empathising with them. You know, I talk to the parents about a really simple formula that they can use where if, um, you know, the child's really upset about something that's going on at Dad's house or something like that, um, having a formula such as, you know, if the child comes to you with that, saying, that sounds like you're feeling X, Y, Z, so empathising with that emotion that Mm. you're um, being presented presented with at the time, empathising with that, and you don't even have to mention the other parent. You can just mm. say, that sounds like you feel really disappointed mm. with that. I'm not sorry or, that you feel that way. Or one of the other common things I might um, say to parents is to say, that sounds very confusing. Mm. Do you want to talk about that? Mm. So then, because children find it difficult to name their feelings because often it's happy, sad, angry, especially... <laughs> Hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Hangry. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, so they do find it difficult to name them. So giving them that sort of, you know, that, that, that would be confusing for me as well. So I can imagine it would be confusing for you. So how about we talk about it? Um, so giving them that open-ended question so they are invited to talk about it rather than don't be angry or, you know. And confusing is a little bit more gentle. It's yeah. not implying a deeper feeling, which they might have, mm. but you're not naming it. So if you're not quite sure, saying that sounds confusing or mm. I'd be a little bit unsure about that, mm. it doesn't assume that they're stupid or they're silly. Mm. They don't have that feeling of their judgment judging me when they ask mm. that. It's, yeah. yeah, it is a little confusing and I mm. do want to unpack it a bit more. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, this is another thing I talk to parents about in mediation is that it's okay to say to your child sounds like it's really confusing for you I'm feeling really confused too Mm. you know but really being able to say this is a short-term situation Mm. mummy and daddy are working together on something that might work for you but really letting them know that the parent has emotions as well Mm. Um, not necessarily going into that because we don't you know don't want to burden the children with their own emotions but you know, it's okay if, if the parents are sitting in a mediation and they're finding their rosters really difficult to work out and the conflict is really difficult to navigate, wondering why the children are finding it hard to navigate it, it's okay to say, you know what, we're confused too, but we're working on it for you. Yeah. And prior to, so this is working a lot with families who've already made that decision to separate. You also work with families who are in the process of deciding about separation or who live in kind of a high-conflict relationship. What are some of the tools that you use working with those families who haven't made the decision or it might not even be something they've talked about, but you're seeing either the behaviours or the impact on the children in particular and then how the family can work with that? So I think we're pointing to Josette to answer that. So that's um, so through a lot of the counselling work you do, you work a lot with children who live in those environments mm-hmm. where there's quite a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you would notice in their behaviour? Mm-hmm. Um, so very compliant. They might be very compliant, um, which or they could go the other way. <laughs> And maybe, you know, they might be compliant at school um, and behave differently at home or vice versa, be compliant at home and behave differently at school. Um, it, it really depends on the situation as well and the extent of the conflict. Um, often in the work that um, I've been doing, the parents will come after separation um, but so, so that the conflict is sort of been at the highest point, the children have maybe witnessed some dispute in the home and, um, and then they're kind of trying to unpack that when they've come into counselling, by the time they've come into counselling. Uh, whereas what we would like to do here at Focus is try to work with parents as much as we can to keep the conflict away from the children if they're noticing that conflict's coming up, even if they're separated. So keeping the best interests of the child as the highest priority. Yeah, and I think um, another common thing that, um, you know, we see in our our work as counsellors working with separated parents is they might, you know, if there's been some family violence in the home, um, you know, you might be 
hearing things like, well, you know, Dad says he doesn't act up with, with him, but, you know, I get all this bad behaviour at my house or I get the acting out at my house. Mm. And quite often in those situations, the child's acting out in the household that he, he or she feels safest in. Mm. Um, so sometimes it's about unpacking that a little bit too. Because, mm. yeah, because also the parent who the child's acting out with might feel like, why are they acting out with me but they don't act Absolutely. out with Dad? Um, and, yeah, and it is unpacking some of that, mm. some of that, um, the experience of the child and what they might be feeling rather than how they're presenting because depending on age and developmentally, children will show their feelings through behaviours. Mm. And the dysfunction of the home is often played out through the child. Yeah. So one of the things uh, I see in my experience is people will attend counselling with one person being the problem that needs to be fixed. So a child might get identified in a school setting as acting out or having problematic behaviour. So parents, off they go, get a mental health care plan or go find a counsellor and Mm -hmm. say, great, all our family problems will be resolved if we can just make this better. Mm -hmm. How do you work with families to think about the patterns that they have as a family Mm -hmm. that cause some of that conflict or that reinforce it? So Mm -hmm. if a child acts out, they get mum or dad to stop fighting and then the attention's drawn on them. Mm -hmm. So perhaps that's reinforced that behaviour and they haven't been able to see the pattern of... Mm -hmm. I, I play up so mum and dad focus on me so they don't yell and they're almost self-sacrificing and that can create a, like one example mm-hmm. of how those patterns form. So what's your, what are some of the ideas you have around working or inviting as many members of the family in mm-hmm. to look at the whole family structure? So one of the first things I think I do and Verity does um, is we will do a genogram with the family so um, or with the presenting parent um, and we'll look at sort of intergenerational stuff as well as um, what's happening in the family and often it's gently pointing out that oh it seems that the relationship might be strained let's say between mother and her father um, so therefore that might be reflective in her in in the behaviours. Yeah, in yeah. the behaviours of the child or they might be indirectly promoting that strain with the child's father, for example, because they might have experienced it in their... Yeah, I think that's a really important part of it is looking at having that family history of how conflict's been dealt with in each family unit and their family of origin... But also the way that Josette and I like to work ideally, um, and we've had some great results working this way, is where Josette works with the child and I work with the presenting parent. Um, and quite often, I guess one of the most um, one of the most common things that we um, we would find is perhaps that child's presenting with some really anxious behaviours, um, and then. I might work with the parents and you it becomes apparent that there's a trickle-down effect there or, you know, maybe mum or dad is really um, responding really emotionally to the separation. Perhaps they didn't choose the separation and so they're crying a lot at home, really, you know, not being aware of how their emotions are impacting on the child and so the child is then responding in a way, either acting out or being overly 
soothing to mm. that parent, having taking on the parent role for the or the partner role. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and so ideally through our work, we can work with the child who's experienced, you know, the trauma of the family breakdown, mm-hmm. um, and then you know I can work with the the parent who's. You know, obviously need some support there because that's a really hard thing to go through. And also focusing on their strengths as well. So what they're doing well um, and promoting what they're doing well uh, with the child in their, you know, in their um, friendships, you know, things that they can really draw on or in other relationships that will help with, yeah, parenting a child from who's, who's clearly struggling or... Um, or experiencing some anxious, yeah, behaviours. So for, for clinicians or social workers out there who don't have the opportunity of working as a duo like you where one can work more intimately with the parents and one can work with the children, what are some of the tips around referring out? What are some of the services that you think someone can kind of scaffold around the family? What are the things that they should look out for? Is it you know, a couple of clinicians in the same room? Is it a family therapist? Is it play therapy? What are some of the tips you have if someone's working with a family in a family violence setting or through a school that they can kind of help know where to go? Mm-hmm. I think being able to refer the parent on for some counselling is really helpful and just mm-hmm. being able to acknowledge the need for, you know, if, if, if a clinician comes across a... Um, a parent who's going through separation, really emphasising the need for self-care because that parent's feeling really scared and anxious and is in a position that maybe they didn't expect to find themselves in. Um, So just being really mindful of that. So referring to individual counselling, I think, Mm. is always helpful. Um, Obviously looking at the appropriate family violence services if if there's a need there. But if if it's right for that family, then, yes, and family therapy Mm. would be brilliant obviously it's not going to work for a lot of separated families if there's high conflict it's difficult to kind of i guess get in the same space and yeah 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 so that would have to be assessed i guess through the um clinician who's doing the referral Mm. because safety would be the first paramount yeah Yeah. Mm. wonderful and any tips for for practitioners working with families that have such high conflict and seeing the pointy end of a lot of the different families Mm. that can break down can have a real impact I think on your own personal well-being Mm -hmm. do you have any any kind of personal tips or things that people can keep an eye out for I know we mentioned supervision Mm. um, before we recorded do you want to talk maybe a bit more about that and how you utilize supervision for yourself and how you maybe use supervision for those who come to you as professionals, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. So self care is hugely <laughs> important. I'm sure, as all um, you know, budding social workers or social workers down the track would know, if you're working in high conflict, um, it's really important to be aware of your triggers. And you know, we've all got our own family backgrounds as well. Mm. Perhaps it's triggering a family of origin, something, or your own um, your own family situation or parenting situation. So I think it's really helpful to be aware of where that intersects with your own situation mm-hmm. um, and so yeah getting regular supervision is crucial for Jacette and I yeah um, we, we put that really at the top of our list and we we both have our own self-care strategies that 
we mm. we utilize um for me um i enjoy reading um and sort of trying to escape the you know escape the clinical world for a bit <laughs> and read something that you know some fantasy or something that's um relaxing mm. and maybe um Peer supervision, I think, is really important as well, like debriefing maybe after a session where if, if something has come up that's that's very triggering for you or just that sort of vicarious trauma stuff where you feel um, quite... Sometimes you might feel quite depleted after a session with a client because of, of their situation. Maybe it doesn't trigger anything for you necessarily, but it you feel for that person. Mm. So I think debriefing and um, peer peer supervision is really important. If you can pick up a phone, a phone and have a conversation with someone about, oh, look, this I struggled with this or, yeah. or this happened, then instead of waiting, you know, two weeks for supervision, like, mm. it can really help. I, I agree. And I think we are really lucky because we have each other to bounce off. So mm. we... We do have peer supervision on tap, so I'm never aware that not everyone has that. But, yeah, we also have other people available on the phone, but we also provide supervision to others as well through focus counselling. Um, just sets an ACA recognised supervisor. Um, I provide supervision to workers in the family violence um, sector. So, you know, it's also being mindful about um, how that affects us too. Mm. So, Great. And are there any resources that you recommend that clinicians can have a look at themselves for referring to families or for their own professional growth and development? I think we could do a whole podcast on this. (laughs) Maybe that can be episode two. (laughs) So what have you got there for us? Um, So one of my favourite books is The Whole Brain Child and it's written by Dan Siegel or Daniel Siegel if you're looking it up. Um, But we go by first name basis. (laughs) Um, so I think this is really helpful for parents. Um, it's written really well and easy to read, um, and it, it talks about strategies to nurture the developing mind. Can I just interject there? There's a model in that book that Josette and I would use almost every, every session, session. <laughs> um, and it's, it's called the Flipping Your Lid um, model, and it's a really simple model that you can use with clients around regulating your emotion and um, understanding of how your brain is working when you're mm. triggered by something. Um, there's a blog post on it on our website. Yeah. But um, this that's and, a really good model. And the flipping your lid, the beauty of that is it doesn't just work with children, it also works with parents Absolutely. because we've all flipped our lid in some instance in our lives Um, but yeah it's a good way to sort of help kids to understand as well that their first thought doesn't always have to be (laughs) the only one (laughs) that they can have different strategies and that they don't need to just jump to you know anger or sadness immediately Um, and the other good thing about this book is that um, that as a follow-on from this He's written one for ages 12 to 25 called Brainstorm, which is um, also very good around um, trying to understand regard for consequence um, in that those years where the brain is, is doing the biggest change. That 
It okay. never does. <laughs> and I'll pop a link to those books in the yes. show notes. And you've got one more here on your pile that I can see. Yes. Um, it's called Why Do I Do That? And um, it's psychological defence mechanisms and the hidden ways to shape our lives, that, that they shape our lives. So Joseph Burjo, I think is how you pronounce it, um, is the author of this one. And it's really good. It, it has exercises that either parents or we can do as clinicians um, in, a, in each chapter where we might... Um, yeah, so it's around defence mechanisms and how we might um, respond to things. So I think that's a really helpful. Mm. Awesome. And how can people get in touch with you if they would like to talk about supervision or referring families or children to you? Okay, so we've got our website. It's focuscounselling.co. Um, so we've got all of our information there and the services that we provide. Um, we're also on Facebook. Um as focus counselling services. So there's um, a contact form on the website where people can um, just get in touch with a quick email. We've got the direct line so you can just give us a a call. Um, We're open to having some secondary consults if there's any clinicians who are working with separated families and maybe not sure on what's happening. We're really happy to work with other professionals Mm. and always open to broadening our network. Um, so we welcome those calls. Great. And for listeners who join the Focus Counselling mailing list, they'll be getting a tips for talking to children around separation, so a little fact sheet that yep. you've developed, and that'll be developmentally staged, so with a few different things for them to look out for. So I'll pop the links to that on the website as well. Thank you so much. This has been We could have hours and hours just on these <laughs> books. It could be a book club. Um, any kind of parting words of wisdom for... For social workers, clinicians, counsellors, other people in the field around working with families? I would say look after yourself. I was just about to say that very same thing. Yeah, look after yourself because it's hard to look after others if we don't look after ourselves and that is also a message I give to parents. Mm. Absolutely. I will just echo to set sentiments there. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Okay, thanks for listening to my interview with Verity and Josette. I hope you found their advice and their practical tips useful and gave you some really good feedback and ways to tell children that parents are separating. They recommended a few really good books and resources that are in the show notes and I've added in there a few phone numbers of helplines that people can get in contact with if they need a little bit of extra support. So we've got Lifeline, Kids Helpline, Men's Line and Panda. To get in touch with Verity and Jacette, you can visit their website at www.focuscounseling.co and that's with two L's uh, for the counselling bit and you can join the Inside Social Work mailing list to get a free copy of your career guide. Thanks for listening and I hope you found this podcast useful. Please share it, subscribe, uh, promote it with your colleagues and friends if you found it helpful and get in touch. Contact us on the Facebook group. Uh, I read all your posts and your comments and I really love to hear what you have to say so I can make this as valuable to you as possible. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcasts.